Welcome everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Help to get the show out there. Share this with your friends. Wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitch in, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's haunted by nightmares of Jared Casey, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know, I, I think I'm supposed to hate Jared Casey, but I just don't. Uh, it, I can't. I'm an, I, I'm an under... I can't muster the, the, the Kansas hate that I should... Basketball, I hate them. That's fine. Um, but... Like in football, like yeah, Kansas beat us. That's you know whatever. It's uh, I, they're an underdog. I like underdogs when I'm not rooting for Texas. So it's yeah, no one hates Kansas, right? Like Jared Casey is a feel good story. If there was any other team on the other side of former walk on tight end catches touchdown and two point conversion to upset blue blood program at home in overtime, if there's any other team on the receiving end of that, I would have the box score and the call memorized. Right, watch it right. regularly. Right. It would be like that, that really sad scene in the Friday Night Lights TV show where the, or the, all the old men are reciting the uh, radio <laughs> call from the state championship game. That would be what it's like in my head because I still think about App State upsetting both Michigan and A&M. I think about it all the time. It would be the same level. If it happened to A&M, I I would have it t- the final score tattooed on my chest. Like, that's how much I would love Jared Casey otherwise. But because it happened in Texas, I, I, I feel like I'm obliged to not like him a little bit. Uh, you know, I I am bigger than my Texas fandom. I'm a college football. That's, <laughs> it's not true. I'm very petty. But um, I'm choosing to be for this podcast. So, yeah, we'll, we'll try not to be petty. Um, we've got Andy from the uh, Rock Chalk podcast with us to talk about our specific uh, Kansas preview. We're barreling through those. We had to switch it up because he made the wise decision to hang out with his wife for her birthday. So he'll be with us today to preview that. We've also got uh, some Longhorns in international competition, which is great to hear. So we'll talk about that Ryder Cup and swimming, world aquatics, and all sorts of fun stuff like that. And then obviously we'll close the show out with a little bit of Godzilla Tron. So we are... 31 days until football has st- will start in Austin. We have zero days until fall camp because uh, they started today as we're recording it on Wednesday. We're moving through our season preview series. If you're new with us, because again, every week might be somebody's first podcast. Uh, we're going through each and every week interviewing and talking about one of the opponents on the Texas Longhorn schedule. We've been at it for uh, like two months now. Feels like uh, wild time. So we're inching toward the front of the schedule, which means we have the distinct pleasure of welcoming back certified friend of the podcast, Andy Mitz from the Rock Chalk Podcast. Man, Andy, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing absolutely. Have a conversation fantastic. offline, but I'm bringing it online. I saw you drinking a Whataburger cup, and Andy, share the news for our listeners in Texas to understand why we are we are now brethren. Um, what we are Whataburger Nation extended. Look, look. Pat Mahomes decided that he wanted to have some Whataburger in the Kansas City area and not have to go back to Texas every time he wanted some. So I think the last I heard, he was like had seven different Whataburger locations opening up around the Kansas City area that he is part of the owner of. So 
I, I, I may be off on the numbers, to be honest. It, it changes all the time. I, it's it's Pat Mahomes. If he wants to open up 50 of them, he probably could. Seven's a big number. I'm sure he's not as involved That's... in the day-to-day and working the drive through Gerald. I, I think it's probably okay. <laughs> I wish Seven's just a lot. It's just an impressive amount a, of a restaurants. Touchdown, for a to touchdown open. of restaurants, if you will. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Plus, I mean, he's never kicked an extra point in his life, I don't think, but we'll still count it. Uh, so we're going to preview the Kansas Jayhawks. I guarantee you I will not call them the Wildcats today, even though I probably will. But anywho, Kansas, year three of the Lance Leipold era, uh, coming off the best year since Mark Mangino in 2008. I believe that was the year that he uh, posed next to the Orange at the Orange Bowl, if memory serves, which is objectively. I believe so, and and it was hard to tell which was which. Objectively, <laughs> one of the best pitchers in college football history, but it's, true. They, it's, it's a year where, um, unlike most years that, honestly most of us have experienced there are expectations for kansas football so like what's the mood like among the ku faithful oh it's it's absolutely fantastic like last year there was anticipation you know like the thoughts that maybe stuff could jump ahead and i was i was alone as one of the few people that thought they had a chance to go to a bowl game um this year everyone's expects it is is expecting it like it is hard to find a fan who does not think that a bowl game should be the floor for this team, which is definitely a whole lot different to be um, like, it's a completely different situation beginning of fall camp because the Jayhawks started um, on August 1st, you know, because they, they start on a Friday. Um, Lance Leipold just talked about the difference, right? Between year one and year three, how much further along they were. The fact that, you know, normally you expect there's a lot of, growing pains getting people up to speed doing a bunch of stuff with that first you know that that first practice that you have in fall camp they didn't really have much of that because if you think about how many people they have coming back almost every single major contributor that could come back did um you know you you look at yeah like guys like gavin potter he left during the middle of the season he's not back he was a starter last year coming into the year but you know they went eight games without him like all the guys that you expected after after the Liberty Bowl game to be able to come back did, including Jason Bean, like which really helps with the quarterback position. Just the fact that they were making so many or able to build so much on what they did before and not having to make wholesale changes. Because I mean, I mean, that's what year one and year two were was like we need to change the way that Kansas approaches football. Um, they did a ton of that in year one with very little bit amount of time to do that. Year two was a whole lot better, and I think it all kind of gelled at just the right moment for it. The question now becomes, can they continue you know, to, to move along and give themselves an opportunity? And there's a lot of excitement because there's a lot of individual awards that are, you know, Kansas has a lot of players on the on the watch lists for like you know, player of the year, for like cornerback of the year, like Jacoby Bryant is on the watch list for the for the quarterback or cornerback of the year award. Um you know the the Maxwell Award has both uh, Jalen Daniels and Devin Neal on that on that watch list. You know Jalen Daniels being offensive or I'm sorry, offensive player of the year in the Big Twelve like preseason like that's a huge thing. He's he's the first player for the Jayhawks to ever be honored with that. So like this is stuff that's never happened before for Kansas and and to go from the hey I wonder if we cannot be an embarrassment this year to 
hey, I wonder if we, you know, how far ahead of bowl eligibility we can get this year. Completely different mindset. And I, I think, think everybody's really excited. fantastic. And I love that for you as a, you know. Uh, uh, wait, 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 no, no, wait, hold on, hold on. The vibes immaculate. are immaculate. immaculate. I love it. I love it. The vibes on the planes uh, are uh, vibrating in the brain. I don't know. Feel free to put that on a t-shirt. Um, <laughs> the Jayhawks, as you mentioned, good vibes, good times. I mean, they, they were a neutrals favorite last year, whether you were a Big 12 fan watching them or just someone, you know, who likes college football because mainly that offense. And you mentioned, you know, a lot of the pieces. I believe FEI is uh, number 14 in the country, just a legitimately incredible offense last year um you know it's it's like a spread triple option uh i heard they they actually had better motion success rate than navy and uh and and around army and air force levels like they're running something cool something interesting innovative from that offensive perspective you talk about some of the weapons we know a lot of it's coming back but is there another wrinkle do they have to innovate now that people have seen it or you know are they just so drilled what should we expect from that Kansas offense, kind of, I don't want to say year two, because Leipold's been there a few years, but really bringing back last year, moving into this year. Well, I, I think it's completely fair to say that year two of Lance Leipold was a completely different offense. So it's, I think it's year two of the, what you would expect to be the Andy Kotelnicki offense. And, you know, I don't think that they necessarily have to do anything different, but they've already talked about some of the things that they're going to be doing differently. You know, they have some, or they have more things that they're going to be running kind of towards the outside um, on on running plays, Jalen Daniels is going to be a lot more, I think, selective about when he runs. But, you know, they have stuff designed to give him great opportunities for it. And I think what's even more impressive or more, I guess, scary if, if you're an opponent is they're going to get Jason Bean involved more. They're going to do a lot more two quarterback looks where he is going to have an opportunity to be on the field a whole lot. Like they they had to shy back from that a little bit, you know, after, of course, Jalen Daniels got hurt. But you saw it in the first couple games where they had him on the field for a decent amount of plays. You saw that in the Liberty Bowl. You know, it was the it was the play that they ended up losing on because Jason Bean overthrew the receiver in the, in the end zone. But, you know, Jason Bean has shown that he can do that. He has shown that he can change the way things look on the field. And I mean, just imagining, right, you have Jalen Daniels line up at quarterback and you have Jason Bean and Devin Neal line up as running backs in, in, the, in the backfield. What do you do? How do you stop that? Like, there are so many options coming out of that. And the fact that Kansas doesn't really matter who the wide receiver is, doesn't really matter who the tight end is because all of those guys have shown that they can catch, they can all run routes and Jalen Daniels has shown that he can find all of them. And so it's, it's really difficult to deal with it. Even if you know what's coming, there are so many options built into every single play that it's very difficult to defend against. And I think that's what makes them so special is the fact that they can create all those different options. They have so many different guys that are all bought in, you don't have any guys that are upset about the number of catches that they're getting or the number of targets that are coming their way because everybody knows that they're going to get an opportunity to do it. Um, and so it's it's something you don't necessarily see a lot of in college football anymore because, you know, you have guys that come to college football trying to, if, if, if they're any good, trying to get to the NFL. And in order to do that, you have to have a whole bunch of highlight plays. You have to be able to show what you can do. And, and I think that's what Kansas has kind of shown. You know, I, I think it also helps that they have guys that have gone on to be successful in, in the league. You have a few guys now that are up, you know, in the NFL that have been successful in those types of offenses, in those types of schemes. Um, so so guys are willing to kind of hang out. And, of course, getting, getting to play with a talent like Jalen Daniels and have that ability to, you know, to make exciting plays, I think, is a lot is a, why a lot of people really want to stick around. 
I mean, you mentioned Jalen Daniels a couple of times, obviously, because I feel like you can't talk about Kansas without it. So let's like dive in to Jalen Daniels. Just a couple right? times. Right, yeah. just a few times. Um, but it's year two of the Jalen Daniels experience, full-time at least. Um, named preseason offensive player of the year. Had an incredible first season in spite of the injuries. Like, what are the levels of expectation for him? Like, again, it was kind of a, uh, he was almost like a media darling early in the season. Oh, look at little old Kansas and their quarterback. But like, the more people watched it, the more people realized, oh, Jalen Daniels is just a dude. So like, what are the expectations for Jalen Daniels now that like the, the eyes of the world are on him? I don't think anybody has higher expectations for him than himself. Um, you know, he was listed as the number 10 quarterback coming into the year by ESPN. Um, you know, like of all of college football, he talked about, and, and I mean, he was on a Heisman pace, you know, going into the TCU game and then got injured in that game. Um, and that kind of derailed everything. But you look at what he was able to do and you look at just the project or like just what he was actually able to do in the number of games he played. And especially that that Liberty Bowl game has a ton of people salivating about what's possible for him. He got better as the year went on. He talked about in, you know, going to Big 12 media days, how how uh, how much he was focused on his decision making, because if there was a weakness for him, um, it was really that he had a lot of confidence in what he could do. And there were times where he pressed way too much. Um, I, I don't think that that's the case anymore. Like it seems from what I've been able to tell and from, you know, the glimpses I've seen coming out of camp, obviously it's camp. You're playing against your own guys, but you know, his decision-making seems to be a whole lot better. The The way that he scans the field is completely different. He scans a lot quicker and is a lot more decisive once he actually decides where he's going with it. So um, I think that's the scary thing is like the one area that he potentially could have gotten better is obviously taking care of himself, you know, making sure he's not running into danger. Um, but then just that decision making of what he does and it, it you know, the, the coaches talk about how much different that is. And he talked about how much he focused on it in the offseason. So there's a, a huge expectations. Like, I think the, the expectation is that, you know, barring something catastrophic happening to the team, whether it's, you know, an inj another injury for Jalen Daniels or another injury for, a, you know, a key member of the offensive uh, lineup there, like, you know, kind of like Daniel Hyshaw getting injured last year. Unless one of those things happens, I think the expectation is that he is potentially the, uh, you know, player of the year in, in the Big 12, that he, you know, has an opportunity to be a Heisman finalist. Like, those are the expectations that he set on himself. And I think a lot of people think it's achievable for him. The real question just becomes, you know, can he elevate the rest of the team enough? So for will take <clears throat> Texas fans, again, they're... Kansas always pops up, right? That it, it, I don't know if you know, that's a meme uh, at times. It's no longer a meme. This is a legitimately <laughs> good team, and Gerald and I are both, you know, tried to tell folks that in our our preview last year, and uh, I think people are, are, are squarely aware. But if people are still kind of thinking um, about the Kansas of old, and maybe they've heard Jalen Daniels because he gets the hype, and you've mentioned now Jason Bean is the second quarterback, just. I guess quick fire a couple other names for folks who maybe haven't done their full research into this Kansas team uh, and have just watched it from afar that they should be watching um, or look out for on this Kansas offense. Obviously, knowing it starts with the quarterback. Uh, and hint, I bet you'll talk about a running back, but anyone else, just names they should know. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. So I, I could probably be here for quite a while. But um, <laughs> I mean, it's just the way that Kansas runs their offense, though. And Devin Neal, obviously, you know, being on the first team for the the preseason, um, you know, he he brings a shiftiness and and a way that he plays the game that's a lot different. Kansas had four running backs last year that all shared time. 
um, including Daniel Hyshaw, who got injured. And, you know, he's the other big guy coming back that I think is going to do a lot of different things, allow them to have a lot of different looks. But Devin Neal is the workhorse. He is the guy that you expect to have the most touches. Daniel Shaw is or Daniel Hyshaw is kind of the, you know, the change of pace. He's he's a bigger guy. You would expect him to be more of the bruiser, but yet somehow he actually manages to get out in space and do a lot of a lot out there as well. So um, it's very it's going to be very interesting, I think, to see how they use those two. They end up or I think they end up settling into using those two mainly. But, you know, Kansas, the the big I, you know, I say secret weapon, but I think everybody kind of knows about him at this point. Um, Texas fans, you know, especially so Jared Casey at the tight end position, you also, but he's not, it, it's funny because he's not actually the best tight end they have on the roster, right? They have Mason Fairchild, who's a much better pass catcher, who is very, you know, he had a, a super athletic uh, against TCU where he had turned, um, over one shoulder, saw that the ball was actually over the other shoulder and turned in during his route and was able to actually catch it and, and pull it in. So they have really good pass catching tight ends. That can also block, you know, Jared, Jared Casey's not just the guy that catches stuff down and, you know, in the, at the goal line, he throws a lot of blocks. He had a lot of, a lot of big plays that were runs to the outside last year, had Jared Casey blocking out front for him. And so they do that all over the place. The wide receivers are really good at blocking as well. Um, Lawrence Arnold, Luke Grimm, um, you know, you uh, look at Quentin Skinner. Those are all guys that have the ability to go deep. Um, Luke Grimm is much more of a possession receiver, I think, than most of the other guys. But to have three different options you can go to, you know, like you just need to see which one of them is has a little bit of room that you can force the ball into. And uh, I, I think that's really just what it is, that there's so many guys. It's hard to highlight, you know, the guys you think are going to be most impactful when Kansas has shown the propensity to throw it around to everybody, get everybody involved and make you stop one guy so that it opens stuff up for another guy. So let's let's flip it onto the other side of the ball, right? Because I think that's a conversation we have to have. KU is returning yeah. a ton to a defense that, let's just be honest, was not very good last year overall. When you look at it, like um, they had they had moments, they had spots, but um, you know they they struggled at some spots. Obviously, the Texas game was uh, a spot where they struggled quite a bit, but um, they're also losing some pieces. Uh, you know, you've got Lonnie Phelps, Caleb Sampson, Sam Burr all I think uh, on NFL rosters I think which are at least NFL camps which is nice to uh, say for KU but like what have they done I know KU is very active in the portal but like what have they done uh, to improve that unit or are they kind of just hoping to like control the ball and, and win offensive contests like what's the what's the the hope there well I mean I think it really just kind of depends um, I think part of the problem that they had last year was they did not have a lot of big guys that they could focus with on, on the defensive line the way that they were successful last year was they had they had like nine defensive linemen who all could play at a reasonably you know level amount um and the way that they beat teams and the way that they really like they were a second half team and a, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that you get to the fourth quarter they've been rotating nine guys over four spots on the defensive line you've been playing the same five offensive linemen all game long they're going to wear you down until eventually their speed with having the fresh legs can get them into good places. And so, you know, Kansas had a lot more of their sacks, a lot more, of you know, things that happened that were good negative plays for the, for the opposing offense late in games, because they were just able to overwhelm. Once you got to teams like Oklahoma to Texas that had offensive linemen who could really step things up and running backs who could, you know, use their physical size and, and ability to kind of push through things, you know, like Oklahoma 
completely demolished Kansas early because they did not like they played the hurry up so that Kansas could not rotate their guys. And, you know, if if you're used to playing in a rotation where you're probably getting, you know, 40 percent of the snaps in a particular game and all of a sudden you're playing 85 percent of the snaps in the first half, you're going to get tired really quick and you're going to look a whole lot worse than you actually are. Um, Kansas this year is not relying as much on the rotation. They've brought in a bunch of guys who graded really well, you know, albeit in more limited snaps um, than what they're probably going to get this year. You know, but guys like uh, like Devin Phillips, uh, guys like uh, sorry, I'm trying to remember all the different names because there's so many of them. Quite a few. <laughs> um, but you no, know, I, I actually it's funny because I just did an article about this, so I should have all the names like memorized at this point. Um, but you know, you had, you had Devin Phillips, Gage Keys, Austin Booker, all of those guys you know, transfer in um, that really should be helping a lot. Dylan Brooks as well, coming in from Auburn. Like you have guys that are expected to be good players that just didn't have an opportunity because of where they were um, for whatever reason. And so I I think that Kansas is actually in a good spot to make an an improvement. The real question is just going to be how quickly it all comes together. Um, You know, coach, coach Borland, uh, the, the defensive coordinator, was actually quoted today basically saying, hey, we're not going to be the weak link that we have been. Our our entire intent this time is to be one of the strong chain or strong links on the chain. Um, obviously, you know, that's a lot of talk until you can actually show it. But, you know, the other, the other thing, too, Kansas was super thin at the linebacker position last year. And so they a lot of times they compensated by going to a 4 5 which unfortunately is not nearly as good against the run <laughs> as you probably need it to be, especially in a conference that has so many running backs. Um, Craig Young, their best linebacker probably last year, um, they played the 4-2-5 so much that like you go to pro football focus, he was rated as a cornerback because he was in coverage that often. Like <laughs> right. that tells you something about this team, right? You can't have linebackers doing what you want. But the problem they had as well was the way that the scheme was set up, the linebackers were being asked to do a whole bunch. To, to fill a lot of different roles, do a lot of different things. And I don't think they really had the personnel for it. They didn't have a guy that they could really count on for, you know, the the rushing defense consistently and the coverage. They do have uh, a, a couple guys that have come in at the linebacker position. Um, specifically, I am uh, talking about coming from, let me see, uh, J.B. Brown uh, transferred in, came from Bowling Green, rates pretty well. Yeah, and then they brought in Logan Brantley as as a freshman. They're expecting to get some good things out of him. Obviously, it doesn't help that you have, you know, you you lost a couple guys to graduation. Um, but they have the three most productive linebackers coming back from last year. And, and then Craig Young as well, who I expect to be more of a linebacker this year than a fifth defensive back. So I'm not worried about the defensive secondary either. You've got Kobe Bryant, who is, you know, on preseason right. watch list you've got kenny logan again who is on preseason watch list like you've got a very good uh you know secondary there and you've got a decent number of young guys who showed up pretty well in spring practices so i i will be interested to see how all of that kind of shakes out but i think the real question for this team is is the defensive line going to need a bunch of help from the linebackers and if so are the linebackers going to have the depth that they need to actually because podcasting is a visual medium will you spell kobe bryant's name for our listeners that's kobe bryant it is C O B E E. Not not back from the dead, Kobe Bryant. Not I believe there. Were... His full name is actually Jacoby Bryant. It's it's uh, J A C O. I would absolutely drop it. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, why why not? Very. I mean, I, I also like someone who sets that level of uh, expectation for themselves. Uh, we had a... <laughs> The fact that, uh, I mean, and it's, it's already kind of paid off dividends. In the game last year against West Virginia when he intercepted the ball in double overtime and ran it back for a touchdown, um, you know, he got his his nickname, which is the Hawk Mamba. So, like, <laughs> it, it made perfect sense. That's actually one of my favorite nick- I didn't know that. That's one of my favorite nicknames automatically in the Big 12, rooting for that kid. Um, so we've heard you say it. Um, you, you, you're, putting, you're putting your keister out there on the line. I appreciate it. Mitz came on this podcast last year and, and said, no, guys, Kansas, Leipold's doing something. This is going to be a good team. So listen to what he says. But it's prediction time. You said bowler bust. So give us uh, an official prediction, a win prediction, or or at least a you know directional, if you don't want to lock yourself into wins, a directional bowl plus a couple. Um, what are you predicting this year? This year. Well, so I mean, I've done a few. I've done a few different ones, right? I did like the way too early prediction at the very beginning of the countdown. We're, we're doing a hundred day countdown over at Blue Wings Rising. I've done an article every single day, except for one, which I have a makeup article that's coming out for that one. But I can say I did the hundred days, the hundred articles. Um, but you know, way too early predictions. I ended up going through, and I had a hard time. It's like you know, this is a team with a couple coin flip games, like you know, we're winning one against. I think winning one against Kansas State and losing against Texas Tech or something like that. Anyway, um, I came up to nine and three, and it was difficult to nice. like, like it was like, a, wait a minute, this feels like it's way too optimistic, right? <laughs> but you look at teams like BYU, that's a coin flip game, but you got to give it, you know, you give Kansas the the um, the benefit of the doubt with you know the much better offense and the fact they're at home and like yeah. a lot of this other stuff. There's a lot of those games that kind of shake out in a way that if you're having to make a call one way or another then you go with the Jayhawks on that. But I wouldn't be shocked to like, you know, see them beat BYU and drop UCF or something like, or, or, you know, alternate. So like, if I'm being realistic, just looking at kind of the Ken Palm way of doing it, like what's the percentage and add up all those different percentages. The problem of course, is that, you know, you have to either completely win or completely lose a game. But this is also a team that if, you know, if Jalen Daniels plays up to the level that they think he can, you know, if he is a Heisman finalist, you're not going to have an opportunity to do that if you're less than eight and four, right? Um, you probably have to be nine and three, maybe even 10 and two. And while it's difficult to see exactly where all those wins come from, it's not that hard to imagine. Like they start out, you know, four and one, um, you know, they get to this Texas game and if something bounces right and they're somehow able to beat Texas, like, I, I don't know that I would pick it today. Like t- today I would probably say Kansas probably does not have a legitimate shot of upsetting Texas. They might keep the game close. They might, you know, make it look really good and that could help them. But, um, you know, you get out of that first half of the half of the schedule at five and one. And who knows, like last year, you got to a really good, you know, five and one schedule, but you were down Jalen Daniels because he was out injured. If you don't have to worry about those injuries this year and he can keep that offense rolling and the defense is at all better, like the defense doesn't even need to become a good defense. It just needs to be an average defense. You get an average. Right. Well, like like Kansas last year, what they did defensively, right, was they were able to they were able to get really good negative plays for the for the opponent often enough that they were able to stop some drives, but not often enough that they could rely on it this year. I think if they can at least get, you know, one negative play per drive, you know, one every 10 plays or something like that, that keeps them more than in games enough that the offense you know, can do whatever it is that they need to do. So I think this is a team that has the potential. Like I could see them beating Oklahoma at home. I, I don't know that I would necessarily say for sure. I think it's going to happen, but you know, Oklahoma is not, is not anywhere near as scary. I think as a lot of people thought that they were, and you know, that'll be 
basically three years in a row now where they have a legitimate shot of beating Oklahoma, which is kind of weird to think about as a KU team. Um, you know, but you don't have to worry about facing a TCU or a Baylor or another team like that that can jump up. Like, I think the three hardest games on the schedule for the Jayhawks and, you know, K-State fans will like rake me over the coals for this. But I think it's Texas, Oklahoma and Texas Tech. And, you know, those three, you have two of those three at home and you also have the K-State game at home. Like this is a team that could be going into the end of the year, uh, you know, against Cincinnati with the possibility of things breaking just right and maybe having a chance to go to the Big 12 championship. Like if you can end nine and three or 10 and two and have one or two losses in conference and that's it, that that gives you an opportunity to be in the in contention. I don't think right now I'm willing to go out on a limb and say, hey, Kansas will be in the Big 12 championship book it. But I would be more shocked if they didn't make a bowl than if they were in the Big 12 championship. I like it. You heard it here. Stakes are down. They're going to beat OU this year. It's been predicted. Works for me. Please, please. (laughs) Last year in the Big 12, please freaking. How about this? How about Kansas just goes 12 and 0 and then goes to the CFP? Um, well, 11 and 1. It's a compromise. That's a compromise. Yeah, well, oh, compromise. Okay, I'm sorry. 12 and 1 with a win in the Big 12 championship over, Still over Kansas. Still that? love it. We'll yeah, talk, yeah. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> so that brings us to the, the next stage of this, which is kind of, I like the, the fun lead in. So hurry up offense. We're calling it this year. We've, we've tossed around names. I think it's now a meme that we do a different name for this segment every year. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh, up. I know. It's been so different every time. <laughs> It's fine. Hurry up offense. So um, of the new Big 12 teams, right, the Big 12 is constantly changing and evolving. It might be different. You know, we're recording at Wednesday at 837 p.m. It may be different 12 hours from now. But as it stands right now, what game or what new team are you most looking forward to playing in the new Big 12? Is this include Colorado or no? It's fair. It's a good question. Let's just go for this year just to keep it. Let's just oh, OK, go OK. This so this year coming up, I'm super excited for the BYU game. Um, I am LDS, so I'm kind of a BYU fan as well, but I just, that's a, a, a name and a program that has been kind of there kind of at the, the, you know, outskirts of, of national prominence. Everybody recognizes the name. Like this is their big first opportunity. It's the big 12 opener for both of these teams. Um, so it'll be a lot, whole lot of fun to have them in Lawrence for that. Um, but I, I am extremely looking forward to that. Uh, you know, so of the of the four new ones, like I think that's the one that I'm most sure, excited about. Re- it, the reason I believe I believe I don't know where Kansas and Cincinnati is versus uh, Kansas and BYU. It feels like it might be the closest of the new teams. I don't know. Um, UCF is definitely the furthest. Houston and Houston and uh, or that's Houston and, and Cincinnati, I think, are about the same distance. BYU is a little bit longer, and then of course UCF is like. Got it. It's like a 21 hour drive. Yeah, yeah I, I do not recommend that. I've done it a few times uh, when I used to live in Florida. Yeah, I, I don't fair. recommend it. Um, let's keep it moving here. Who are you going to miss the most when they leave the Big 12? Be honest, Texas or Oklahoma? Pass. <laughs> fair enough. Then I will give you a challenging one because you pass, and that's a fair pass. Kansas can win the Big 12 in football this year. You can win the, the last Big 12 okay. with Texas and Oklahoma in it, but you have to go a decade without a basketball conference title. Do you make that trade? Um, I think I actually would. And and part of the reasoning behind that is because Kansas has shown, right, that they don't, you know, they can still have a good, a good March without actually winning the basketball conference title. I think that also would do a lot to strengthen the Big 12 conference. And, and honestly, it's one of those things, if you're always finishing second in the conference in basketball, that's, I mean, that's not that big of a deal. 
I'm sure I'll get raked over the coals for my Kansas fans <laughs> for that one. But We're, that's going to be the poll. That's going to be the clip that we put on on social media, just yeah. so people can drag you for it. Now, yeah. Uh, so speaking of twos, uh, we got to talk about Jared Casey, right? Two point conversion to beat Texas in overtime. Got an NIL deal with Applebee's out of that, if, if memory serves. So if you had to pair a current, another current Kansas player with another fast casual establishment, what would be the player, and what would be the restaurant? Oh gosh. Uh oh my gosh. That is a good question. I haven't really thought about this at all. Um I mean the the the, the Jared Casey one just made a whole bunch of sense, but I'm trying to think if there's anybody that like would automatic I mean, I feel like Whataburger has to be the restaurant. <laughs> um, you know, and I almost want to say like Jason Bean, um, you know, because he came from North Texas and uh, I don't know. For some reason, it just it seems to make sense in my head, but I can't really articulate why it makes a lot of sense. So, also, also Applebee's for Jason Bean and call it Apple Beans. There, so you got it. Um, oh, that's a good one. I hadn't <laughs> thought about that. It just popped in my head. No, well. no, I've got it. I've got it. <laughs> Steak and Shake for Jason Bean because have you ever seen their commercials where they have they have a bean crock and literally ah. in the commercials they'll just randomly go bean crock. That's right. That's right. It that's... makes no sense, but it worked. Quick, quick update: two Whataburgers in Mansfield, Texas. Just throwing that out. There. Not a coincidence. Um, at Big Twelve Media Days, the other quarterback, uh, Jalen Daniels, rocked a uh, let's call it approximately fifty thousand dollar chain that was playing his highlights. Andy, if you were at a uh, event, let's call it Big Twelve Media Days, and it was playing your highlights, what highlight would be playing? I mean, it's got to be, you know the clip the audio clip of me calling kansas going to a bowl game uh, in january of 2021 i believe no i'm trying to remember exactly when i did it on the podcast but over on the tento podcast when i called it in january as my big you know my big take there that i mean that that's the highlight it's going to be that way for a long time i think i love it get it put it on your tube set up uh andy if folks want more of what you've got to offer brother uh where can they find you on the internet yeah so you can follow me personally on twitter or i guess x as it's now called uh um, twitter at, just call twitter okay 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 <laughs> at andy mitz 12 i think it's hilarious that you know musk has done all that but anyway um the rock chalk podcast you can find it wherever you get your podcast um you can find us on twitter there at rock chalk pod and then uh, i also write or run the Sports Illustrated Fan Nation site covering the Kansas Jayhawks. Um, that is bluewingsrising.com. At bluewingsrising on Twitter. Everyone should go out, Twitter. follow Andy on whichever of the socials media you have. Uh, good times, always follow Andy. Uh, thank you so much. Legitimately one of our favorites to have every year. Appreciate it. So if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know this, I don't know how you got here, but welcome. Uh, Texas started football camp for the fall on august 2nd of 2023 they actually had a preseason press event on august 1st they took the field on august 2nd we got some quotes from the coaches on both we got a little bit of insight into it i think the media got to see about 20 minutes of practice over at the practice facility uh on wednesday the day we're recording this but a lot came out of both of those steve sarkeesian uh and the coaching staff spoke on um on tuesday and then they spoke after practice on wednesday uh as well, Kyle, they talked about Quinn Ewers and how good he looked. They talked about the offensive line and having an eight-man rotation. They talked about rotating five to eight wide receivers on the team. Uh, but of all the stuff that's been mentioned, of all the conversations already happening, 
officially what 20 hours into football season kyle uh what's up what's the favorite thing that sark said um maybe in the whole presser was less about anything that's gonna affect this season but maybe is his subliminal uh kind of conversation about how he thinks the season is gonna go and just where i think i agree with him where the program should be but he said Texas, he wants this program to have um, about eight to twelve players get drafted each year, right? And I, I love that. I think um, it was <laughs> Bowles asked the question basically in regards to uh, Harbaugh said that Michigan has tw- is going to have twenty players, could have upwards of twenty players. Which I love that they both just kind of made fun of Harbaugh for being Harbaugh. Um, he had he had too much milk that day or something, but uh, 20's a lot. Um, but I, I, it was realistic, but it's also optimistic. It's also you know saying that Sark believes and understands it's the right thing to say to the recruits, it's the right thing to say to the guys who are on campus, come here, work hard, be coached, put your nose down, play hard, go to the next level, right? So that was probably my favorite thing that he said was just quantifying it, saying that 8 to 12 and and kind of holding himself accountable to that. Um, Otherwise, I mean, he, he talked a lot about kind of, you know, the, the first question or some of the questions were about the new staff additions. And he talked about all the experience that came in from the NFL and other coaches. But I appreciated that Sark also um, really stressed continuity, which I think is important. And I think um, Texas fans have gotten accustomed to what's new this year. A lack yeah, of. well, what's new this year? What are we <laughs> going to do? What's different? And sometimes it's like, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to do a little better. We're going to add a couple of wrinkles. Um, and because the players don't have to learn their you know fifth new defensive playbook in five years or whatever, um, they're going to be better, right? He praised kind of like saying it takes some time to get accustomed to PK scheme and philosophy, but you know using that expertise, right, and making sure that learning curve that people went through now pays off, right? And and so I think um, I really liked hearing that because both of those things, both developing for the next level and uh, kind of staff continuity, were were huge things um one of the more interesting quotes he gave was when asked about gary patterson's role just said he's not currently with the program right now today he's he's not that so um with only slightly less um (laughs) uh emphasis than i gave (laughs) right exactly (laughs) um so who knows who knows if gary patterson uh is gonna roll through i don't know about the week we play tcu or something i don't know uh i'm i have no insight i just thought it was an interesting non-answer um but yeah what about you joe I mean, I, I think you you mentioned something when you think about this, th- like last year for a guy who has been on the on campus four years, last year was the first time that he got to play in the same system, offense or defense, two years in a row, right? A guy who started five years ago had the f- tail end of Tom Herman's first staff, Tom Herman's last year staff, and then Sark's staff finally comes in. So that's three systems in three years. So this is, I mean, you're going to see guys who are fifth-year guys that are likely going to make a pretty big jump. We talk a lot about the lack of development at Texas, and part of the reason why that happens is because a guy can't develop if he's focusing all of his time on learning a new system every year. So I think that is going to be something that we're curious that I'm curious to see. And a lot of the talk from Sark was about you know the quarterbacks and Quinn Ewers and his mindset and him coming in obviously the quarterback's going to be um 
a big deal and, and a focal point of the conversation, but I really am curious to see what the level up he has. You know, early reports out of the first practice is that, you know, Quinn Ewers had his best practice on the 40 acres. So I think that's something that's promising to hear. And, and you know, obviously I'm going to talk about the offensive line, right? You know, Sark two years ago when they came in made jokes about having more uh, scholarship wide receivers than, than offensive linemen. And, now they've completely flipped it, and they're at a point where we're almost at Kyle Flood's preferred future, where there's, you know, they're short two guys, but eight is better than five for sure. And I think they're at a point now where it looks like part of the issue last year, especially after the Angulao injury, was that Texas had to kind of shift. They had to replace two guys to replace one, if that makes any sense. They had to move two guys to replace one. And so now I think they're at a point where if they have an injury, right, they're likely to just be able to slot somebody in, right? If Christian Jones gets injured, oh, you can just slot Cam Williams in there. Oh, if one of the guards gets injured, you can slot DJ Campbell in there. I think Kelvin Banks is probably the only one on the line that doesn't have a like easy replacement, and that's just from a quality standpoint, much less uh, not not a position standpoint, but a quality standpoint because he's arguably the best lineman in the conference, uh, definitely the best player on the team. I'll go ahead and say it right. I'll put my uh, flag in the sand, but I think that to me is the biggest thing. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, and we'll talk about it when we get to like our our team preview in our Podstradamus episode. Like this team is going to go as far, and the offense is going to go as far as the offensive line can take them. And so I think hearing that, hearing Kyle Flood really feel and sound confident about that unit for the first time since they've been on campus is a like my shoulders relaxed. I actively felt my body yeah, relaxed when I heard that. Um, I mean, there there were a couple quotes too that I don't know if my shoulders relaxed, but um, I sat a little forward in my chair. I was excited to hear um, they. Uh, one of the names that came up from Kukowski was that Terrence Brooks is one of the team's most improved players. We have our defensive back preview coming up, and I'm excited to talk about that group because there's a lot of questions. If you if the offensive line is you know eight eight deep, which is which is again fantastic. Um, I think they said uh, Flood said only one other time in his career he had six guys returning with starting experience but having that eight deep is 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 a nice feeling that defensive back room is is maybe equally eight or nine you know or ten deep like for a, a group that's also probably going to put five on the field you know most times in that two four five defense but Terrence Brooks name was out there which you know excites me um you know Derek Williams is a name that, that got put out there right just uh, you know we know what kind of talent he has, what a big get it was uh, for, for the safety at Louisiana. So, you know, a player who just brings violence. I like that. I believe um, someone talked about uh, him bringing violence. I, I like that quote a lot. Um, they talked about Anthony Hill and the, they have a plan for him. They're obviously not going to just come out and say, here's what it is, uh, opposing coaches. But nonetheless, it feels like they have a feel for what to do with, with Ann Hill. Also a teaser for our linebacker preview coming up. Um, a player I'm very excited about. And, and another thing, just going back to Kukowski, he talked about, you know, how this defense missed some opportunities, 109th or 104th last year um, with only 14 turnovers caused, right? And you think about how many close games. I think I said on another podcast, 18 uh, points away from a perfect season, regular season last year. Um, it was close. A turnover in a lot of games could have made the difference uh, in the ones they lost. So, you know, he's, the quote that he said that I liked is, you know, the good teams he's been around have gotten turnovers. It's like a feeding frenzy. Um, and, and, I, and I like that. I like that mindset. I hope um, they do start to come in bunches. It starts and it's a tipping point and it goes. And I'm glad to hear that it's something that he's, uh, he's prioritizing. So all in all, I mean, I thought uh, PK, Banks, uh, Sarg, all great. 
conversation, all great pressers. I believe Worthy, Banks confirmed Worthy will be the punt returner to start for 2022 and talk that Will, Will Stone was the most improved special teams player, um, namely on kickoffs, so that's good. Let's kick those through the end zone and, and not have to worry uh, about any returns next year. So um, I liked it. I mean, it's it's the first day of camp presser. It's got to be good things. But there were some things specifically with a critical ear that we were listening for, and, and I, you know, I still walked away hearing uh, kind of what I was hoping. I'll be curious what it sounds like after, uh, after fall camp, but some of those names um, that they mentioned are, are, are very interesting. So we will obviously keep you up to date as up to date as we can with all of the practice reports and all of that fun stuff. But football officially happening on the 40 acres. We are like a month away, officially today, a month away. We are a football. month from football, 19 days from classes. And uh, there is football that will be played this month, Gerald. College football will be played in the same month that we are in. Not Texas necessarily, but there will be August games and we are in August. We're in a college football month. Thank God. All right, now let's take a little time for some burnt orange lenses coming off football. Let's talk about the perennially most dominant uh, sport on campus, swimming. Uh, in the uh, the post-Longhorn or outside of Longhorn competition that uh, our, our Olympic-style athletes do, the 2023 World Aquatics Championships had uh, some burnt orange flavor to them. Luke Hobson, Carson Foster, Drew Kibler earned silver in the 4 by 2 free. At the championships, Carson Foster himself also won silver in the 400-meter IM. Um, on the women's side, Aaron Gemmel won silver as part of the 4x2 free, and Lydia Jacoby does what she does, earning gold as part of the 4x1 medley relay. Um, strong, strong Longhorn showing. Yeah, I mean, and seeing Texas in the, in the natatorium showing off is not, uh, not a – not a rare sight, but like Lydia Jacoby double dipping, right? Getting in gold as part of the four by one medley and then winning her own solo bronze. Like that's just flexing a little bit, I think. Uh, and I like seeing Texas flex. I like seeing Texas with medals draped around their neck. Yeah, I don't give medals necessarily for golf, but uh, there's a lot of golf news this week. Um, first of which, our guy, world number one player, Scotty Scheffler, no surprise, uh, was the first name player, um, first U.S., I guess, qualifier for the Ryder cup team he was uh you know more than deserving uh this year after being a great story last year yeah i mean the the story for scheffler right he was a captain's pick with it was supposed to be like the 2020 Ryder cup but we know what happened in 2020 and like getting being like the captain's choice and coming in and getting paired with with john rom who was like absolutely decimating the field at that point and coming up with a win and not just like a you know not a one hole win but like a four and three win it's a pretty big deal and that kind of um clinched it up for the u.s so like now he's back as the world number one and i think expectations uh, are rightfully very high for him a, in the US uh, another player who expectations are high for tommy morrison um currently on campus but still in his last uh age group competing in the u.s junior amateur was the medalist as the low stroke play um with a 369 uh 300 par 69 to close out on tuesday at the daniel island club in south carolina took home the honor ended up falling just short in the match play section but took home the honor in the stroke play gerald um tommy morrison is is listed conservatively at six foot nine maybe six foot ten what do you think would be the hardest sport to compete in golf being up there if you're six foot ten some sort of gymnastic situation, maybe trampoline <laughs> or like something that really require like takes a compact frame. <laughs> 
I think about like there was a Futurama's back on the air, and there was always a joke about uh, Olympic limbo was the was a sport that that Hermes competed in. So like, uh, but I think anything that requires a compact frame. So yeah, like Olympic uh, Olympic gymnastics or like the trampoline. Does the Olympic situation. trampoline have like the the cage on it, or is that just a home trampoline? Because I, I are you up to date with uh, righteous gemstones, I'm not. Kyle? I'm, I'm only a few episodes okay. in. So the trampoline style that they have in that show that the youth pastor uses is absolutely what an Olympic trampoline looks like. It's just a giant rectangle. Okay, good to know. Um, I could also see Tommy Morrison just busting through. He's a big guy. Um, <laughs> just keeping it moving. Speaking of busting through, busting through the field, Pearson Cootie uh, captures his second Corn Ferry Tour win of the season. Third overall. Um, he had a hand surgery, uh, was out for a little while, missed six straight cuts kind of since coming back, has had to change his swing a little uh, to factor in that hand. Um, but this win likely catapults him back in the, the point standing for the PGA Tour membership in 2024. I was out at Pebble Beach again to brag uh, about my travels and saw him with uh, a picture of him as the uh, most recent cup winner uh, there. Um, very exciting seeing a Longhorn in Pebble Beach. Very exciting seeing everything in Pebble Beach, but... Pearson Cootie, our guy, going to be on the PGA Tour pushing some of these other Longhorns. And let's close it out, the golf section of this, with Bo Hostler. What a Bo Hostler day. Finished tied for six at the Barracuda Championship. That's great. That's a great line. Um, basically on the strength of Sunday with a course record 62 that he shot, um, a 3M open record and course record. Um, just to, like... An unbelievable Sunday and the most Bo Hostler thing. Like, he can be the best golfer in the world when he wants to, but it never seems to happen four days in a row. Like, I think the day before he was in the water. Um, you know, like, just when Bo locks in, it's pretty scary. Yeah, I mean, Hostler is just crushing it, right? Eight consecutive birdies, which is one short of the all-time PGA record. Uh, jumped 51 places on the leaderboard. Kyle, what part of your body would you sell to uh, hit a I mean, 62? I hit a 62 on the first six or seven holes every time I go out. No, um, I, I like I legitimately don't know. Like, it's, it's, it's like throwing a perfect game in baseball or scoring, you know, 81 points in basketball. It's one of those things that's just like, I can't quite fathom how it would feel to actually do it. The only thing I can think is Bo Hostler, like myself, has competed in the Texas Cowboys Cowboy Cup. He is a cup winner. I uh, I did not um, come anywhere near winning that. Um, but, you know, I could just think maybe we have that in common, so maybe a 62 somewhere also in common. But no, absolutely not, never. Let's move out of golf. There's a couple more hitters here. First and foremost, uh, my favorite piece of news of the week, uh, Julian Alfred was named the Big 12 Athlete of the Year. Elliot Spaziri was a finalist on the men's side. Uh, maybe robbed by Max Duggan. I don't know. Great year for Max Duggan. But Spaziri is number one. But Julian Alfred, nonetheless, was rightfully awarded. Um, just any award that exists, she should win. I mean, yeah. Are we are we still waiting on the the track athlete of the year? Like, can we just cut? Can we just cut all this BS and and give her all of the trophies? Like, just do it. Uh, as Gerald has alluded to, give all the trophies and start deciding what piece of equipment you need to retire um speaking of retiring this is uh, someone whose jersey could be hanging from the rafters if her pre-texas career uh is anything to say about it madison booker won gold with the usa u19 uh u19 world cup um she did suffer a foot injury and so it's a little bit bittersweet uh but she came back wearing as we referenced earlier that gold medal uh around her neck and there was a really great video of uh the team 
she thought she was just kind of doing an interview. She arrived on campus uh, for, for camp. The basketball uh, teams are, are doing workouts. Um, and the team snuck from behind her and, and kind of um, celebrated her return as she was weighing her medal uh, and claimed it. And Rory Harmon, I believe, said, that's all of our gold medal. Um, so I'm loving that she's already the camaraderie. I also love Vic trying to protect her and her, her hurt foot because uh, he's going to need her next year. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Texas absolutely is going to need uh, her and and, and uh, the youth movement, especially uh, with the bigs, is necessary. Um, speaking Texas. of a big, big name coming in, coming freshman, Will uh, Moglin was named the USA Today High School Swimming and Diving Athlete of the Year. I like the idea that in, in any given sport, right, we know what the Arch Manning of it all and the Quinn Ewers of it all looks like. But in any given sport, I think Texas should just get to pick whoever the the best athlete is and then everyone else can start picking at number two right that seems fair i think if texas should get the rights to whichever they can this feels more fair they get to pick one athlete of the year across all sports right they could just grab one and like that that makes it feel a little more fair it would hurt our recruiting i bet each year we get at least two athletes of the year maybe three that's fair well, That's we'll, fair. we'll see. We shall see. Gerald, I don't know if you are as obsessed with this as I am, but basically if you're not following the Atlanta Falcons social media, my morning routine is just waking up and watching Bijan Route clips where he absolutely dusts either a cornerback or a linebacker who tries to cover is a strong word, but stay in the realm of where Bijan is. It's like casuals who have no Texas affiliation. People who aren't even fans of the Falcons are like salivating at these clips. Bijan looks like that dude. More impressive, Puna Ford's pick six or Bijan routing up not one but two I would say defenders. the most impressive part of either of any of those clips was uh, Puna got the pick six, and it was from the Bills' backup. Uh, but their very fast and very long-legged starting quarterback, uh, Josh Allen, uh, jokingly acted like he was going to run down and strip uh, Puna. And, and Puna kept, you know, Kept his speed with with Josh Allen. I think when you get that much mass moving, um, you know it's 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 moves pretty quickly, like a boulder rolling down a hill. And our final piece of news, Gerald. I don't have a segue for this one. I got Softballs nothing. Allison uh, Papelka, who I believe uh, some of the players in their uh, heart emoji post about her revealed some great nicknames: uh, Pop, Pop Tart, etc. Um, will be transferring to UW, Texas's opponent in the softball uh, postseason last year. A great program, one that uh, Mike White hated in his time in Oregon, surely will hate now. Um, but uh, Papelka will be finishing, she graduated, will be finishing with a grad transfer uh, year at UW. So we'll be cheering, cheering her on, except, of course, when they play Texas. All right, Gerald, let's close this bad boy out. With a bit of Godzilla Tron, what have you been watching on your giant screen? Yeah, so I, um, if you're unaware, I'm a huge fan of the show Justified. It's an incredible, people talk about it a lot lovingly, and I still think it's underrated. Like, Walton Goggins and Timothy Oliphant could just talk in Kentucky accents for like, you know, like read the phone book in those accents and I'd be uh, captivated. But um, so I, I finished my rewatch this last week in an attempt to like watch the new season. And one, like, I love that show and... I like my only gripe is that like in a show in which every season ends with you'll never leave Harlan alive for all of your three mains that are on opposite sides of the same like $10 million heist to all live through the end of the year end of the show spoilers by the way 
<laughs> Let me do that. Uh, spoilers for the end of the regular uh, portion of Justified, if you've not seen it. Uh, every season of that show ends with a different cover of the song, You'll Never Leave Harlan Alive, uh, which, by the way, the Brad Paisley version is my favorite version. It's absolutely incredible. Um, like, to end every season with that for all three of your leads to walk away alive, technically, you know, you know they, there's a other nuance to that conversation, but uh, for that to be the end. But the way they ended it is really perfect because it's a show about, like, relationship dynamics and family dynamics and like the way that they ended it with a conversation between those two characters was uh, as close to perfect as you can get in spite of my gripes but they they took elmore leonard is the uh, author that wrote the short story that justified is based off of and then he wrote supplemental books that after the show took off but um he wrote one called city primeval that stars um Timothy Oliphant's character, uh, Raylan Givens, who is in Detroit now doing and searching for a uh, dangerous criminal. And so um, it's it's weird seeing it in a different setting. I, I, I like the fish out of water a bit, but I think there's something about like, and again, there's there's this magic of that's hard to recapture on like a limited series without all of your leads. It's I mean, Timothy Olyphant could, could play that character in his sleep at this point, um, but like not having the Walton Goggins to play off of, not having, um, I mean, the, the social commentary that is in those stories because you look at like it's like. Justified is set like post coal Kentucky, and so this is like post industrial, post uh, car boom Detroit. So, so that social commentary, like people being forced into crime, is still there. Um, I'm only halfway through it, so we'll see how it ends. Uh, and then I've been listening to a lot of. Speaking of like post post coal, I've been listening to a lot of like. Uh, old school Appalachian style country, you know, your Tyler, Tyler Childers, your Sturgill Simpsons, that type of folk, and just been absolutely incredible. Purgatory like five years later is just still an incredible album. Uh, White House Road is probably just like, I don't know if there's, I don't believe in perfection, but White House Road is probably as close to perfection for me as you can get. When it comes to country, that song just absolutely slaps. And Sturgill Simpson actually produced that album for him. So uh, absolutely incredible. And then I saw the Barbie movie with my wife. This is going to be a comparison that's going to, going to shock some people, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. I feel like that movie was the best absurdist comedy with social commentary since Anchorman. When you talk about an absurdist comedy that's trying to have something to say, Anchorman might be the gold standard, and I think Barbie is like right there with it. Margot Robbie can actually act. Ryan Gosling can actually act. That whole cast is really great. Um, and have, the, you know, there are a lot of people that think it's man-hating and whatever, whatever, but the whole point of like men being hurt by patriarchy too is like staring you right there in the face. Um, and like, that's the whole like Ken plot of the, of the thing. Right. So, uh, I enjoyed it. My wife and I had, it wasn't a perfect movie, but I laughed quite a bit. It was funny in spots. It was again, an absurdist comedy that I really appreciated. Um, and it was, it was just a fun watch and a fun little date night for me and wife. I thought it was a fantastic watch. I also had a date night, uh, with my wife. I don't know if it was our first day back or second day back from California, um, but we had a lot to catch up on and, and work, and it was like, yeah, just forget it all. Let's go watch Barbie instead. Um, and it was awesome, and it was funny, funnier than I expected, um, more laugh-out-loud moments than I anticipated. Um, I thought any of the stuff with, and I'm sorry if this applies explicitly and directly to any of our listeners, um, but it was just like a very clear um, lambasting of toxic masculinity, The uh, where they're all playing the... Uh, <laughs> what, what? Push. 
Uh, what? what Matt, Matt, by yeah, 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 yeah. By Matchbox, Matchbox 20. 20. Matchbox 20 song on repeat. Like, I was just dying. I remember... Can I play, play this at you for four hours? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, when, when my wife told me she hadn't seen The Godfather, I made I had the exact same reaction they made fun of. I was like, what? You haven't seen <laughs> The know. Godfather? And it I, hit me in the chest. And my wife laughed really hard, and I just glared at her. I was like, okay, all right. A little, okay, let it go. All right. Yes, that was me. Sorry. Um, it was just good. I mean, it was very, very funny. Um, some of the lines were like sleepers um, when you call him a fascist. And she said, I don't even control the railroads. Um, just like, <laughs> like great sleeper lines all the way across. Like it was, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised, I guess. Like I thought Will Ferrell was as good as he's been in, in years. Not, maybe not since uh, Anchorman. He's had some hits since then, but um, it, it had been a while. Like he was just on it. He was perfect in it. Um, I thought Ryan Reynolds was, you know, it's, it's a Barbie movie and I just talked about two men, but also Ryan Gosling was just so tremendous. Like he was acting his tail off his ability to like play that straight with a wink and a nod the entire time. Like he knew what he was doing. Um, I probably will well wear a, I am Kenuff, uh sweatshirt at some point. That was phenomenal. Um, I loved it. I thought it was perfect. Um, I don't even people, you know, I feel like there's been criticism, I guess of it. Sure. I'm, Whatever, I don't follow those people, but I feel like the people I know who want to appreciate it, and I, this is no shot at you, Joe, but have been like, was it a perfect movie? No, but yeah, it was. It was perfect. It was perfect for what it was. <laughs> don't sit here and, and, and caveat. It was perfect. It was hilarious. Uh, Greta Gerwig had a very specific vision and just went out and, and did the dang thing. Um, I had such low expectations and hopes about a toy movie, about, you know, uh, a young girl's toy that that just it I was not particularly excited. I was like, I'm here to be a support system, and I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, yeah, I can't wait for it to be streaming. I will watch it again. Um, it was it was very very good. I have not watched Oppenheimer, so you know if you need to take my man card, so be it. I don't really care. Barbie was great. It was funny. Um, I won't just talk about Barbie. I will give some other items, but that was certainly the highlight. I was traveling, as Gerald alluded to. I listened to the podcast, by the way. Um, alluded to, I was in California for, for quite a few days, celebrating anniversary. I had a trip of a lifetime, Napa Valley, San Francisco. Drove the PCH all the way down to San Diego. Stopped along the way. Did some cool stuff. Just probably won't get back to do that for a very long time, if ever. Really enjoyed it. Loved every bit of it. Ended it with a, a great time in San Diego with a Manchester United Wrexham soccer match. My wife... It's a lifelong Wrexham fan since the documentary came out last year. And uh, I've been a Manchester United fan since uh, 1999 when they were on ESPN for an FA Cup semifinal replay and Ryan Giggs took his shirt off after they beat Arsenal. Um, it was a tough loss for me, for my wife in gloating purposes, but I also love Wrexham and it was a fun story. Unfortunately, their star striker Paul Mullen was hurt. But I am excited that the We Are Wrexham Season 2 uh, was announced. I think it comes out in August um, or maybe September. Uh, but I will absolutely be watching that. But I didn't get to watch a ton. But I will say um, being able to go watch live sports in another state was cool. Um, you know, not really being plugged in or on my phone or, or really turning on a TV for a week was pretty cool. Um kind of enjoyed that like driving down the coast like i don't know when my tv runs in a background as a screensaver i get like ocean shots and things like that and they're pretty beautiful but i don't think anything or the pictures that i took quite compared to seeing it live like um let this be a plug godzilla tron is about our pop culture let this be an anti-plug um unless you're seeing barbie uh get out of your house and go see something i know it's a thousand degrees outside so maybe wait until it's a little cooler or at night and go see something um unparalleled if you can get to california and do the drive down the pacific coast highway 
recommend that because it's just pictures don't really capture it or do it justice. It's pretty serene, pretty surreal. Being out in the in California summer and walking for hours at a time and not sweating, it was weird. It was weird. Like I kind of get why people pay 1.5 million for a two bedroom because it's like perfection out there with the weather. But God bless Texas and all of it. But uh, but yeah, man, our weather is uh, tough to come home to. So I'm glad I haven't had to go out to California for work as of late because the uh, the time I spent out in Berkeley during the uh, the spring and summer was absolutely incredible. The weather was great, but that's enough about that. Texas forever. I moved back to Texas because I love it so much, and now I'm actually recording this from Oklahoma City because I'm here for a family thing. That's all I've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter, on threads, on all of the, the medias at Kyle Carpenter. You can follow Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. Follow me on Twitter or X or whatever we call it. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. We'll be back next week, continuing both our position and our schedule previews, hopefully back to our normal arrangement. But you know what? We've been flexible this year because scheduling has been weird. We'll have some more cool news for you next week. But until then, hook them. Hook them. <laughs>